It's time to turn to our passage. Please turn to Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 12. Uh, You have a question, you have a a, a sheet in the center of your table with discussion questions on it that I've provided. So Isaiah 58, 6 through 12. If you're using the Blue Bible, it's on page 689. How did we get to Isaiah from Romans 11? That's a really great question. Um, We had the baby box blessing last Saturday, and I chose to preach on Isaiah 58. It is a foundational passage to why we do things like the baby box. And I was planning to preach one sermon on that passage last week, but I decided, some of you may remember, I decided to take a second week. Uh, While I was preaching last week, we focused on the task. We focused on the commands. We focused on what it is that Isaiah was calling the people to. In Isaiah 58, they were doing some things wrong. They were going through some empty rituals. How how many of y'all have ever been somewhere where there's empty rituals? And don't you know that you can take something that's empty and fill it with the wrong thing? And they were taking that empty ritual, a ritual that actually had meaning that was from God and about God and for God and for God's glory. And instead of making it about God and for his glory, they made it about them and for their glory. And so God was calling them to stop with the phony baloney games and to go on a true fast where they truly denied or denied themselves in every way. For the good of their neighbor. What we did not get to last week was the blessing that comes upon a people when they live that way. I want to submit this idea to you that many of our difficulties in our nation, many of our difficulties in church, many of our difficulties in our community would gradually fade and go away. Not all of them. Because there's always sin in the world until the Lord returns. But many, many of the things that plague our nation, that plague our homes, that plague us as individuals, and that plague our community, are because we are not living as the Lord would have us live. Today, in this passage, there are 14 blessings... That God promises to pour out. Fourteen blessings that the Lord promises to pour out. So we are going to read the same passage we read last week. We're going to discuss the same passage that we did last week. But our focus this week is going to be less on the task and what we are to do. And more on the promise and what God says He will pour out on us. And oh my, I want to tell you, we want what he promises in this passage. We want what he promises in this passage. So with that being said, I want to read the text. Y'all follow along. Then take a few minutes to read it to yourselves. And then when the time's right, y'all can begin the discussion. Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness. 
to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is the word of the Lord. Give yourself to the meditation of it at this time. And in a few minutes, uh, we'll begin discussions. All right. I'm going to say something. And I want it. I want you to remember it. I'm going to say something. I want you to remember it. God likes to break things. You all, God likes to break things. We think about Him as a restorer and as a healer, and He certainly is. But I want to tell you that God likes to break things, and sometimes He wants you to break things too, but there are always things that need to be broken. They are always things that need to go away. And every time he breaks something, and every time that you break something that he wants you to break in his name, he then builds something awesome and wonderful in its place. So God likes to break particular things. He wants us to be a part of it. And then he builds something awesome in its place, and he uses us to build that awesome thing. So God wants to break stuff. He wants us to be a part of it. He wants to build stuff. He wants us to be a part of it. Consider just a few quick verses on this ministry of breaking and destroying things. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, Moses tells the people, you're going to go into the land of Canaan. He says, you shall break down their altars, dash them in pieces. There are false altars to false gods. You should break them. Dash them into pieces, chop down their asher and poles, and burn their carved images with fire. Those items for false worship, are, they need to be broken. And God tells his people to do it. In Psalm chapter 2, he's talking about, God is talking about a future king who is going to come. And all these nations are, have set themselves up against this future king. And he says, 
God says to the future king, you shall break these nations with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Ezekiel chapter 3, it says there is a time to break things and there is a time to build those things up. And if you read through the prophetic books, that clean part of your Bible, Hosea, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Malachi, Zechariah, those words that we don't pronounce very well, Over and over and over again in those prophetic books, we see God's ministry of breaking things. And a pattern emerges as you read through those parts of the Bible. And if you step back and look at the entire narrative of Scripture, we see that God made, and it was perfect. Mankind screwed it up. God's coming And destroying our destruction, he's repairing it. He's breaking the false structures. He's breaking the lies. He's breaking the sin and the power of it. And he's restoring and replacing it with something wonderful and beautiful. We see this all throughout the scriptures. And we see it when we step back and look at the entire story of scripture. So we get Isaiah 58. Verse 6, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? I went deep into this last week and what it is that God is calling us to. There's a lot of evil in our world, right? We fight in Jesus name. We break the evil in Jesus' name. We set people free. We thwart the plans of the wicked. The people who hate what we're doing right now, they are our enemies. And while we do love our enemies, we work in the name of Jesus to overcome the evil and the consequences of that evil and to set people free who are being hurt by the evil of powerful people. We pull the bully off the guy getting picked on. And we do that in every way, in every opportunity that the Lord provides. So, verse 6 We are to break every yoke. This is why I say God likes to break things. But everything that God wants to break, it needs to be broken. Amen? And we don't just break and destroy, but we get into verse 7 and we see that we serve and we build. So we break in Jesus' name. We serve in Jesus' name. We build in Jesus' name. Verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house. And when you see the naked to cover him. And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. I take that last phrase to just mean your fellow man. Your own flesh. Your fellow man. The guy across the street. The person down the road that you know is suffering and not doing well. This is what God has called us to. Beginning in verse 8. We have a list. I, I've, I've got it down. I, I, I 
I, I want to say there's 14 of these blessings. Some of them could be coupled together as one. Maybe there's 13, maybe there's 15, maybe there's 12. I got 14. Not that important whether you get 12 or 14 or 13. But I want you to consider today the blessing that flows from this breaking ministry. The blessing that flows from this building ministry. There's a lot to build, y'all. And there's a lot to rebuild. The founding of our nation was not perfect. There were many sinful men and there were great societal sins that were present when our nation was founded. But I want to say very clearly, and I've got loads of documentation that can prove this. Many of the principles and the convictions that fueled the founding of our nation were straight from God's law in His Word. Ideas about justice, particularly, were rooted in Scripture. Ideas about how much authority a single person could have. And we built a nation that has uh, um, checks and balances between the three branches of government. When our nation was founded, they understood that man was desperately wicked. And so it would be a foolish thing to let one man have too much power. So there were limits and checks on power and authority built into our government. So there's all kinds of wonderful and amazing things that were present when our nation was founded. And those things either aren't present anymore or we're all watching those things being chipped away at. So we got to rebuild. And as we do that, there are blessings that come. As we go through these blessings, I want you to know this is not karma. Some of you have heard that phrase. It's a popular idea with religions on the other side of the world. Nowhere in this text and nowhere in the Bible is there such thing as karma. God's going to do something for you because you did something for Him. He owes you. There's no transaction going on here. This is all free stuff that God gives. And when you obey this passage, you just put yourself in the position to receive those blessings. God doesn't owe us anything. You're not putting... God in your debt. So this is not karma, and this is not the prosperity gospel. These good things come. There are scorched places. But you can be satisfied in those scorched places, as I believe it says in verse 11. But the reason you get in those scorched places is because there is suffering along the path. But the blessing comes... By God satisfying your desires, by God meeting your needs in the scorched places. There's nothing about a prosperity gospel in this passage. And there are seasons of suffering. The whole, if you look at the whole counsel of God, we're going to see that there are purposes and blessings that flow from our suffering. So these 14 blessings that we're about to go through very quickly, I want you to keep those three things in mind. This doesn't have anything to do with karma, this doesn't have anything to do with... This is not prosperity gospel teaching. And we need, there are seasons of suffering in our life. So verse 8, blessing number 1. If you do what verses 6 and 7 says, then shall your light break forth like the, the dawn. 
Sometimes you need a new day, don't you? There are seasons that come and you need a new season. There are awful chapters. And you're ready to move on to the next chapter. So, what happens at the dawn? What happens in the morning? Your light breaks forth. When something breaks forth, it gushes out. It runs through. You're able to see where you're going. You're able to begin moving forward. This word breaking forth is the same word used in Genesis chapter 7 when God flooded the earth. In Genesis 7 verse 11 it says, On that day the fountains of the great deep burst forth. See, when the flood took place, it not only rained, but the water within the earth burst forth. Same idea, same Hebrew word. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Second thing. Your healing shall spring up speedily. Anybody got battle scars? Anybody got wounds? Is anyone just beat up but you aren't quite sure why? Or, or who, you might not even know who hit you. I mean, sometimes, a lot of times you do. Sometimes you don't. Right? Maybe you've just been a punching bag for the last six months. And, you, and, and the punches are coming from every direction. Isaiah promises your healing shall spring up speedily. This word healing in the Hebrew, it has to do with new flesh growing over old flesh. The damage being covered and restored with something that's new. You want healing in your life? Then give yourself the verses 6 and 7. Give yourself, deny yourself, serve others Break the things, the wickedness that needs to be broken. And God will heal you. And this isn't just physical healing, but this is the healing of the whole person. This is every single sphere of life. And don't you know, there's a lot of so-called healers out there who are only trying to treat one thing. They're only trying to treat this. They're only trying to treat that. But we, as the people of God, we know the one who heals the entire person. You need healing in your life? Give yourself to this ministry of verses 6 and 7. And it happens speedily. Y'all, I've seen this happen. Somebody's heart changes. Somebody quits living for themselves. And all of a sudden, you see that the things that kept them in despair, the things that prevented them from leaving the house for days at a time, those things were gone. Despair and depression Broken in the name of Jesus when we quit looking at ourselves and the plight that we're in. When we begin to care for the needs of others. Healing springs up speedily. Verse 8, your righteousness shall go before you. That third thing, and also the fourth thing, the glory of the Lord shall be your regard. That last half of verse 8, those two things are connected. Your righteousness is before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. I want, to know, I want you to know that if your righteousness is going before you, that means you're going somewhere. Amen? Are you going somewhere? Or are you stuck? If you're stuck, 
Get unstuck. Call your buddy with the big truck, hook up to you and pull you out. Or maybe you can get out of the ditch yourself, but you just kind of don't want to. You're just moping in there yourself. No, we are Christians. We got somewhere to go, y'all. We've got work to do. We've got things to do. We have something to build and create. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6 that he goes forward with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. The weapons of righteousness. Paul understood he was in a war. And let me tell you, if you're participating in this ministry of breaking and rebuilding, you're going to need weapons and tools. And those things have to be of righteousness. And you've got to have one in your right hand and you've got to have one in your left hand. Ephesians 6, a popular verse, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. One of those pieces of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness of God in your life protects you as you advance. The glory of the Lord, there at the end of verse 8, shall be your rear guard. You all, the intense, blazing, majestic, white-hot glory of God will protect you. Nothing can penetrate His glory. None of His enemies, none of God's enemies, none of our enemies have this incredible glory that belongs to our God. They may have some form of glory. They may have some uh, um, um, appearance of it or some empty, false claim to it. They might have a little bit of glory. But it's nothing Like the glory of our God. Psalm 97 verse 3. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes. You all, it's as if you're moving forward. The the picture we get here in verse 8 is that we are moving forward. The enemies of God are behind you. But behind them is the Lord of glory. And it's hard to move forward when you're always looking behind you. Amen? Amen? But if you can move forward, quit looking behind you because you know God's got everything back there that's coming at you. You're going to move forward faster than ever. You're going to move forward faster than ever. God will watch over you. He sees what you don't see. Don't fear or fret about attacks coming to you from the backside. Verse 9. We see a God who is present. Do you see that? We see a God who is present. And we see a God who hears prayer. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Note that this is conditional. Amen? This is conditional. Sometimes you pray. There's a number of reasons in Scripture why God doesn't answer our prayers. And one of them is here. Sometimes God is not answering your prayer because there's a yoke in your midst. Sometimes God will not answer your prayer because instead of taking responsibility for whatever you've done, you're just pointing your finger. Don't be like Adam. It's because that woman you gave me. Don't do it. Don't 
point the finger. And don't speak wickedness. I believe that God often doesn't grant the things that we're crying out to Him for because of this. And I, I'm, I'm just going to say this outright. I think the church today is so far from God because we're perfectly content. I'm speaking generally. I'm not speaking of each you know, of us as individuals. But generally speaking, the American church is content with babies being slaughtered by the millions in our nation. We don't want to do anything about it. Well, Roe v. Wade, that made it okay. You know, and so now let's just do a heartbeat bill or a 12-week ban and, you know, we'll let all the other babies just go to the slaughter. No! God says interpose. He says break the yoke. The American church is powerless because we've been perfectly fine with doctors running a butcher shop. I'm sorry, i got to go there. Our president doing everything he can to ensure that people can end and terminate the gift that God has given them. And the church saying, oh, we can't do anything about it. It wouldn't surprise me if the Lord's not hearing 80% of the prayers that the American church sends up. Because we will not fight and break the things that need to be broken. Our land, our nation is languishing. Because we have these incredible systems of injustice that are set up. I mean, I, I, I talked some about just the last week about how our rulers are enslaving the masses and manipulating people through propaganda and lies. And we are, we're, verse 9, we're calling, but the Lord's not answering. We're praying, and God's not saying, here I am. God is not willing to do more for us. God is not willing to tell us what to do because He's already told us what to do and we're not doing it. Then you shall call, the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, here I am. If, it's a big word, if, you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking with wickedness. I tell you, God likes to break things that need to be broken. Raleigh needs to be broken, y'all. Washington needs to be broken. I think Gatesville could be a little bit better, but it ain't nearly as broken as Raleigh and Washington. And, and let me say, we better dare not let it get that way, okay? Our voice goes a lot further in the halls of power in this community than it does in the bigger halls of power in Raleigh and Washington. Amen? All right. If, verse 10, look at that. See verse 10? It continues. If you pour yourself out for the hungry, 
This has to do, when it says pour yourself out, it has to do with the extension of your soul. We're not just dropping 20 bucks into the Salvation Army bell ringer in a couple months. Okay? But pouring yourself out, it has to do with the extension of your soul. Are you willing to extend your soul to those that are disadvantaged and depressed? If you are, the Lord will bless you. So if you pour out yourself for the hungry, if you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. These ifs, okay, these ifs, if you do this, if you don't do this, this is the difference, you all, between a vibrant life-giving church and a dry one. This ministry of breaking, this ministry of serving, this ministry of setting the captives free, this ministry of building a culture that glorifies God in the midst of a culture that hates God, this is the difference between a vibrant, life-giving church and a dry one. I've been a part of dry churches before. There's a reason I'm not there anymore. And I pray that we will never go down that road. There's need for growth. Let's do it. Look at verse 11. We have continual guidance promised. You see that? He will guide you when you can reach him on the phone, right? Anybody called me lately and I didn't answer, but I called you back? Yeah, that happens sometimes, right? (laughs) The Lord doesn't do that. He's available. He will guide you continually. You'll know where to go and you'll know what to do with your life. Are you at a crossroads? Are you at a turning point? Are you trying to figure out what's next? I promise you the Lord stands ready to guide. He stands ready to guide. Are you living your life in such a way that you can hear Him when He speaks and receive what He has to offer? Moving on to verse 11. He will satisfy your desire in scorched places. Y'all, there's a lot of scorched places these days, isn't there? Sometimes people are living like, like, like their own homes and their own living arrangements may be a scorched and difficult place. Yet the Lord can satisfy your desires in that place. I think our, about our nation as being a scorched place because the, the consequences of secularism and humanism where we've made everything about us and we're saying that God hasn't done anything. He didn't even make us. The more and more we push God out, the more and more His judgment comes. The more and more He withholds His blessing. You all, we live in a scorched land right now, but we as the people of God can be satisfied. It doesn't matter who wins the next election. Okay? And honestly, even if the guy you want to win the next election wins, he probably ain't got Jesus. I don't care how conservative he is. A Christless conservatism is not what we need, church. It is not the answer. 
And I'm one of the most conservative people you'll meet. So, don't think it's all going to be fixed just because the guy you want to win wins. Do you see that? You can thrive in desert places. The whole world can be falling apart around you and you will have everything you need. You'll have the peace that surpasses all understanding. Look at the third thing in verse 11. He will make your bones strong. This is very similar to verse 8 where it says your healing shall spring up speedily. I believe this is a reference to God healing the whole person. Moving on in verse 11, you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You know, we're in our, I think it's our third year, maybe fourth year of pasture management in my house. If it doesn't rain for three weeks, when I walk across the pasture, there's a crunchy noise. Crunch, crunch, crunch. But these last three weeks, there's been no crunch. It's been raining. Everything's green. Everything looks delicious. Best salad bar a goat could find. I don't even have to haul much water because the ground is so moist. But when it's scorched... When it's not like a watered garden, it is not a pleasant place to be. But you, it says, do you see that? If you participate in this ministry of breaking the yoke, setting the captives free, serving the disadvantaged, calling them to a better place and helping them get them on their feet, then your life will be fruitful, pleasant, and beautiful, just like a well-watered garden. Prosperity and abundance like a well-watered garden. Do you remember what Jesus promised in John 7? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Church, let's go to Jesus. Let's place ourselves at his fountain. And let's drink. Let's guzzle. Let His life flow into us. And then out of our hearts, because the Lord is present in our hearts as we drink from Him, out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. Don't you know someone down the road who's recovering from a hangover right now? That river flows down to His house. And brings life. There's so much water that flows. When we participate in this ministry. Of extending our soul to the hungry. Of satisfying the needs of the afflicted. Of stopping the oppression in our land. 
the living water river of the Lord is going to flow. It's going to flow from your property onto the properties nearby. The Lord, you know, Jesus taught those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you humble yourself, you'll be in that position where the river, where, where the, um, where, where you can drink from the Lord, right? And then, from your heart will flow rivers of living water. You all, there's a lot of restoration work that needs to happen in our land. Amen? There's a term I want to share with you today I've come across. The term was popularized beginning in the 60s by a scholar, a Christian scholar, named R.J. Rushdoony. And he says that the place that the Christian church is to take in society is the ministry of reconstruction. Everyone say that with me. Reconstruction. The whole idea is that sin destroys and tears down. So wherever people reject the Lordship of Christ, they're just tearing things down that God has given them. Amen? But as we submit ourselves to the authority of God and His Word, as we live in the kingdom of Christ, we restore, we rebuild. Reconstruction can take place. And honestly, we can even build better than it ever was. This is what verse 12 teaches us. Look at this language in verse 12. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. What lies in ruins? That which was neglected. That which was not maintained. All that fell apart while we were in our sin. If you give yourself to the ministry of Isaiah 58 that Isaiah is calling us to, our ancient ruins will be rebuilt. The good things that we've been forfeiting. I'm calling you to activism. I'm calling you to serve the hungry. And let me just say this. You know, we got a food ministry here. But you know where all that food comes from? That food comes from your tax dollars that the government extorted from you. That's not true charity. Now, we aren't going to stop that ministry. It is meeting needs, you know, and the hearts of those who serve in that ministry are right on, spot on, solid. But God is calling us more to more than that. If we want our ancient ruins to rebuild, to be rebuilt, we have to obey this passage. Look further in verse 12. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. 
What's a foundation do? Supports. If we do this, then your great, great, great grandkids are really going to have something to build their life on. I love my kids. You love your kids. You love your grandkids. I will love my grandkids. <laughs> yeah. I, in Jennifer's family, there's been... There's, I think in her lifetime, there's been three different occasions where there were five generations alive at one time. Her older brother was one of the fifth generation. If we give ourselves to this ministry now... Your descendants will be better off 200 years from now. Sometimes, let me just say this. Y'all, we get so short-sighted as Christians. We're so consumed with the difficult thing that's going on right now. And I don't mean to like minimize any of the trials that some of y'all are going through right now. Because they're big and they're huge. But when we look at this thing that is right before us and we don't see any of the bigger picture, we miss out on all that God wants to build and create and do. There is so much more going on than this present difficulty. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. Let us obey the scripture and bless our great, great grandchildren. Amen. Two more blessings in verse 12, and we're done. You shall be called the repairer of the breach. You ever heard of a data leak or a breach in the firewall? Okay, we got a, one guy who works in IT. Yep. A, a, a breach. There's this modern common usage of it. You know, where Google has 19,000 of our passwords and some hacker gets in there, he pokes a hole in the system and he gets all your passwords and then he goes and buys all kinds of things, right? That's one type of breach. There's a break. There's a hole. There's something that needs to be plugged up. We bought a, an expensive swimming pool for the kids this year. It didn't last very long. There was a breach. The air went out of the pool. The pool was no more fun, Right? It needed a repair. We weren't smart enough to do it. <laughs> Holes need to be plucked. The ancient usage of this idea of breach is that there's a city and the city has a wall all around it to protect it from foreign invaders. And those walls were needed. And those walls were real. And those walls were sturdy. When an invading army would finally get through that wall, it was the beginning of the end for the city. Destruction was upon them. If you give yourself to this ministry of reconstruction, if you give yourself, extend your soul to the poor, if you fight for your preborn neighbor whose mommy wants to kill it, whose daddy is trying to get her to do so. If you fight for the fatherless, if you fight for the oppressed, you will be called the repairer of the breach. You're going to save the day. <laughs> you will be the human means 
that God uses to stop the evil in our world. Amen? And this last thing, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Y'all, there's some places ain't fitting to live. Amen? But you know what? They can be. Right? They really can be. How do they get that way? It's when the people of God go in there and restore it by being obedient to God. Amen? I want to say this. Sometimes Christians are bored with life. And the reason they're bored is they're not doing Isaiah 58. And oftentimes the reason they're not doing Isaiah 58 is because they're too focused on themselves. All of us in here are guilty of this at times, and some of us are guilty of this a lot. If that's you, stop looking at all that is wrong with you, or all that is wrong with your house, or all the things that haven't gone right in the last five years, or the last six months. Stop thinking about your parents who you say ruined your life. And maybe they did. That stuff's real. Take your eyes off of that. Take your eyes. Maybe someone else got dealt a better deck of cards than you did. Stop looking at the cards that you were given. Look at God who blesses. Some of us aren't building something because we're bored and we have a lack of focus. Repent of that today if that is you. You all, the institutions of wickedness in our land must be replaced by institutions of righteousness. When we give ourselves to the ministry of reconstruction, when we give ourselves to doing Isaiah 58, when the breach is repaired and when streets are restored so that they can dwell in, what we're going to see is men who beat their wives now serve and build godly homes. When we give ourselves to this ministry of feeding the hungry, no one's going to sign up for welfare. When, we, when the church rises up and looses the bonds of wickedness, all of a sudden we don't need the government. The government won't have work to do. The prisons will be empty. Not completely. I don't believe ever completely. Not until the Lord returns. Because there will always be sin in the world. But all these things in our nation, all these sore spots, all these difficulties, all the lawlessness, evil, wicked nations, evil, wicked leaders, we can see a change. The blessing that comes from this ministry We will see nations built on the righteousness of God because God's blessing will flow. Here's what I want you to do. When you see something wrong in the world, ask yourself, what can I do about that?
Now let me go ahead and tell you, you can't do something about every single thing you see, okay? <laughs> you can't do something about every single thing you see. But you can do something about something, amen? And we can do something about something together also, right? And a few of you who really like that thing over there can team up and work together and go fix that thing over there and bring the kingdom over there. But then there's this other thing over there that a few of you would rather do. And so y'all, go over there and break that thing and make something new, amen? Ask yourself, what can I do about that? But remember, you're not just breaking the yoke. The Lord will work through you to rebuild something beautiful in its place. There are 14 blessings in this passage. Church, I want you to obey every single one. I mean, I want you to obey the commands in this passage. I want you to take these things seriously. And I want to watch the blessings of God flow upon us. Some of you, many of you, have seen this to a small degree. And it's so exciting just seeing the little bit that we've seen. I want to tell you, there is so much more to come in the years ahead. This baby box thing has been exciting. It's been wonderful. It's been great. It is such a tiny little thing. Tiny, tiny, tiny little thing, okay? We're going to do many more tiny things in the future. And we're going to do some big things in the future. Do not underestimate what 35 people who are filled with the Spirit of God can accomplish in our world. We're small. Feels like we're broke most of the time. Feels like we ain't got no margin. Wondering how in the world we're going to do things we can do. Oh, let me tell you. The Lord can take what little we have and do incredibly mighty, awesome, transforming work through it. Do not underestimate your God. Let us be obedient to God and let us walk in the blessings that God has for us. Amen?